Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Welcome back, Collective. We're back with Carrie from Sip and Shine and Mom on the Rocks. We've had a lovely chat. We've had a couple hours in between this, and I've had whiskey and wine. <laughs> yeah, I've had all wine. I had red and white, though. I'm feeling kind of dangerous tonight. I was celebrating a good interview and trying to figure out if I'm moving again. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who's to say? We're on the third place I've, re- like, the third city I've recorded in for this podcast. Why not add another? Well, then you're going to have a whole new plethora of serial killers and things like that to cover up there. That's true. Since I've been here, I've covered a lot of Ohio serial killers. I mean, there's numerous. What is up with my state? I love Ohio, but seriously, what the fuck? I love the way you say it, too. It would definitely pass a lie detector test. (laughs) There's a certain softness in your voice. (laughs) What the fuck, It's like a kid. It's like um, only, what do they say? Only a kid a mother would love. Like, that is how you sounded. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you have the bumper sticker and everything. It's like my my state's been on the honor roll. <laughs> my state's been on the most zero killer list. I'm so proud. I have. Um, okay, so where were we? Are we about to the point where you assigned me one of like the most broad topic I've ever been assigned compared to my podcast? Yeah. What did I? What were my options I gave you? You gave me like a 700 year. Um, oh yeah. Term of history. I don't even know what you call Let it. Let me pull it up. History. Let me pull up my my spreadsheet. Oh. I had to Google that one even to figure out what. Oh, the Reconquista. I think I did. Yeah. Reconquista. Um, Jacobite Rebellion. Probably Iran. Contra. No, you didn't give me. You didn't give me Jacobite or Iran because I probably would have picked one of those. And you gave me a serial killer besides this oh um started with like a d like some sort of long name and i had to google it it was like 700 years long and i'm like oh i probably gave you reconquista probably yeah i was like this bitch got jokes when i already can't say spanish words and (laughs) she's giving me ones that i will need google translator but that like really creepy voice to say it for me yeah i think i did that one i probably did uh castro fox yeah i got um, castro that period of time and then i got a serial killer that was the doctor the nerve like tons yeah it i don't even know i just i have a i have an extensive table guys it's like at this point it's four page like so it says it's four pages but i'm really on page three every let's put it this way every section i has has 73 items yeah not including the ones that have been canceled off so and these are the ones that I got to pick from. I got like a real broad three. And I was like, because you're like, oh, what do you want to do? I said, oh, give me a topic. Because I'm thinking me being a fellow podcaster. I love it when people say that to me because mm-hmm. I have ones that I want to do. I probably already have a script prepped or something like that. And then you're like, I love that you have a script prepped. And I'm like, nah, nah, bitch. I know. I'm I had doing to do too much. myself. And I'm like, t- I'm like super weird. I'm like, are we talking about a specific incident? Like, what do you want me to talk about? No, it's biography. I mean, You're, you got the, you picked biography section. So listeners, these are my sections I pull from. There's two history, one true crime. So I have history, historical figures, which tend to be biographies, true crime. And then I have ones that are more off the cuff for Patreon. Um, so yeah, I you have- got... I have 12 pages and I started out writing a script like my style and then I ended up with just notes and I tried to do it in sections but by the end of it I fell off so I'm going to sound like a lot of ums a lot of like I'll be jumping around I'm hoping that when I'm tapping you will be talking and so I can get my pages straight yeah that's it's pr- like I I love this because people think if you if you work with people who are who normally script their their podcast and you go where they're not as scripted they're always like i say a lot of ums and likes it's like yeah everyone does you're just not as practiced as bullshitting as i am (laughs) yeah and i'm like is she trying to put me through my career today because that's how i tell nervous i am no um i just tend to do my scripts the way i did my teaching scripts so like my lectures which are a majority of bullet point because you can't script a lecture I mean, you can. It doesn't work very well. Let me tell you, at least for me personally. I know people who script lectures. I know people who have bullet points. I know who people who have suggestions because they know the topic so well. It's really just what you're comfortable with. And so, I mean, I can, at this point, 
I can, I know how long my pages need to be for an hour or 45 minutes or for 30 minutes. Like, aren't you special? Not all of us are as good. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's because I did two years of informal teaching before this, plus some lecture. And then I had in between that last summer of 2018, I did two programs. So I had to have like a hiking program plus a night program. Yeah. I can bullshit anything. Okay. Well, I (laughs) can't. Especially on this topic, because I know nothing about it, except that people were coming over. I lived during the time when they were coming over on rafts and there was that little boy that it was really sad. This is I'm not saying this is a joke, even though my voice sounds like higher pitch. So we're going to be talking about what? Fidel Cash. Yes, I should mention. I don't know if my professor will listen to this. I had an amazing professor at Miami University of Ohio. So you set me up. You totally set me up. Well, no, her specialty was in Cuban-American relations. And Melanie, if you listen to this ever, I love you. You're amazing. Uh, (laughs) But she, my favorite thing was we did a rogue state, failed state kind of class. And she talked about Cuba. And she talked about her experience doing counter translation for the U.S. Army and the military. That's my jam. I'm feeling you there. Yeah, so basically her job was to make sure that whatever the Cuban translators were translating was as close as possible or correct, or she would know the informal stuff. She's been to Cuba numerous times. So what kind of history did you say I did before? I usually call it unscholarly or scholarly light. What kind of history do I do? You do public history. So public okay. Yeah. So there's history, if we're talking about the big schema thing, there's history with with the capital H, which is academic history. So you think of the books, the universities, the museums, but then there's public history, which I like to do, which I like want, that was, that's what I want to do with my profession, which is more teaching the public, not as intensive. This is where you get historical fiction, if it's really good, can get roped in. This is the intro like taking all that scholarly information and the scholarly discourse and projecting it out to the public so you can absorb it in more easier digestible bites where you're not reading 12 books a week trust me in some programs that happens yeah um this is what podcasts are like historical documentaries are when you go to historical programs at museums that's public history what we do is public history you got the girl who does public history to do something in honor of one of your favorite professors like this is really going to work out well (laughs) i'm loving it let's go i've taught i've taught caster's life too for my 1945 post 1945 class but i don't remember it (laughs) so feel free to liberally interrupt and i hope i have some cohesiveness of an outline because like i said i was all over the place So this is a summary of the topic I'm going to do. Fidel Castro, I feel like I'm giving uh, like a book report in front of me. Fidel Castro was in power in Cuba for 49 years or about 10 American presidents. Which is insane when you think about it. Yes, it's complete. So Fidel was born in Cuba in 26 and he died in 2000. And so he was a political leader of Cuba. Again, this might sound like a little weird because he kind of stepped down a few years beforehand but these are the numbers that I got from some of my sources and it wasn't all Google I promise I even wrote them down where I got them some of them were even CNN from- so the official sources so like he was presidente and then he was stepped down but he's still in power so yeah exactly because I think at like uh, 1970s they also became some sort of premier or something like that but I'll get there and so he was successful. Uh, so from 59 to 2008, he was successful in creating the first communist state in the Western Hemisphere, which is probably why the um, America during the Cold War was totally stressing out. Castro, I also got some interesting facts about him because, like I said, I wasn't sure which direction we were going to go in. <laughs> so I had to like put a little bit of my own style on it. A little spin. Oh, yeah. I like the. We get a little flavor, a little caliente. On exactly. Every exactly. So Castro was established as a symbol of communist revolution in Latin America. And until 76, he held the title of premier. And after this, he had a long tenure as quote unquote, president of the Council of State and the Council of Ministers. That's what I love about communism. You know, Presidente, it's more or less you're in power, but you want that secret seat of power. Like in the Soviet Union, it was it's a secretary general of like their congress in like cuba it's a different thing oh 
communism spice of life i just love a good long ass title it makes me feel more important <laughs> if your if your title needs two lines on cnn you've made it <laughs> <laughs> so in july of 2006 fidel handled handed over provisional power due to health problems and in february of 2008 he formed formally relinquished the presidency i totally just slurred my words there but i hope you know what i meant i got you which is so weird because it's only still like recently have they even gotten gyms and stuff there yeah it took a while for because he just he died in what 2016 so they waited till he actually died before they did any change i think everything has been discussed i mean between cast like fidel and raul and then they have their next in line like everything's planned i don't know though i think definitely loosened up though since his brother died just i think that's well i'll wait till the end to talk about cuban u.s relations (laughs) see now we're gonna all right it's too long of a tangent okay so cuba today i figured i'd kind of give some details on cuba today Mm -hmm. is translators make about twenty dollars a month doctors make about $30 a month and a lot of things are out of reach of locals which a lot of times you'll see that in some nations or in the Caribbean or whatnot and so but access to education medical service which I've always heard a lot of good things about the medical stuff and they have one of the top medical facilities like they're they're like one of the top medical sites in the world they have excellent medical care so the state provides um, subsidies for things like egg, sugar, and rice. And they make sure that everyone has access to culture, which like music and art. So you get to go see concerts or plays for free or really cheap. And so it's not necessarily, according to the article I read, it's not necessarily fit in with the definition of poverty, but it's also not the conditions like we're used to here. So life is very expensive. And so you'll always see people trying to make ways to make extra money. So a lot of the houses can be dilapidated or a lot of the furniture can be old. Um, So up until recently, you'll see where there's farmers are actually allowed to own land. But there, if you were a farmer, you'd have three to five cows, but you probably didn't have anything to eat because you'd have to, um, even though you'd want to slaughter the cows, because you'd have to ask the state's permission whether you can slaughter your cow, if that kind of sense. And so a lot of people, you'll see maybe a Cuban doctor renting out their house for kind of like our version of like a a Airbnb, Mm -hmm. or you'll see maybe your taxi driver will turn out to be a doctor because, you know, they're moonlighting. And, um, but before the revolution, Cuba's economy was doing really well because you would see a lot of, again, correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. but when we banned alcohol during prohibition, Cuba would be kind of the quote unquote sin island. So it it attracted a lot of investors, tourists, because obviously they had rum and things like that. It was a mob island. Exactly. So I was about to get to that point. So (laughs) like the mob, I think, um, so you would see that going on there as well. I think also, um, um, Ernest Hemingway had ties to Cuba. There's actually a restaurant in D.C. about Cuba. He loved Cuba. Yes, he did. And he also, like, not to plug my favorite miniseries on YouTube, but Edgar Allan Poe's Murder Mystery Dinner Party is a very good display of Hemingway's love of a drink. Yeah. So um, the uh, mafia, as you said, and their Cuba partners started making more and more off the casinos, the nightclubs, the brothels, and the hotels with the growing discontent. There was a lot of inequality between those that have and have not started kind of igniting that Cuban revolution. Think of it as either Puerto Rico, Jamaica, a lot of these countries that are tourist islands. So basically, it was all American tourism. So the people who are making the money were, and fight me on this, tended to be white or of European descent. And yeah, I think Lucy... Not to be like totally like cliche. I think Desi Arnaz came from money. He actually came from money from Cuba. My old boss, his dad was Cuban and his mom was British. He was a, he of course turns out to be a complete redhead. His dad came from money too. They were they were and and actually Fidel's 
dad was a landowner and he was able to, and he, you know, he was a Spanish immigrant. But like you said, there, uh, as we do in American history, a lot of our, our companies would come in and monopolize as we've done in other, you know, we, like our industry will just take over. It was, what is it? They call it, it's either Coca colonization or mcdonald's democracy or something like that there's a term for it where it's basically coca-cola and mcdonald's come in and take over everything okay i'll go with what you said because again (laughs) this is the public history person (laughs) i'm just here to break it down in layman's terms you're like i did i didn't do the research she did the research trust exactly (laughs) remembering things from now like three four years ago so (laughs) I'm going with uh, telling you in layman's terms with as minimal Valley Girl as I can without the likes, the ums. So once the revolution happened, the economy of Cuba never recovered and they really relied a lot on the Soviet Union and their assistance for their economy to take off. And in 1991, the support ended. And then Cuba had, of course, a massive crisis. And this period of time was considered the special period, which I think China, China, communism, you saw that the Soviet Union. So maybe this is a little bit more of the delayed for Cuba um, once they lost that backing. And so the state was so out of money, they couldn't eat both. And so uh, food rations and product distributions were cut by half, which totally on what happened up there. But they did a better job. Like if you look at it for a state to not have their people have food that tends to like hungry people tend to overturn states cuba's an island it's a little different kind of it's 90 yeah yeah, it's 90 miles between cuba and florida yeah so i've only seen cuba from a boat by the way i did go on a cruise and i saw cuba from the boat i'm impressed yeah that's the only only connection i got to cuba and the venezuelan president chavez am i saying that correctly chavez um what's his first name how to say it with flair they were good friends you know chavez i know so so they made a deal i'll keep going while you look it up so they made a deal hugo chavez yes that's our guy (laughs) <laughs> so they and I went to Curacao and I did see a oil tanker or something like that that was like repossessed of of uh, Venezuela. So I did see Venezuela from I did I did have some connection in Venezuela. So they were good friends. All right, I'm bringing it down to you like I'm talking to like a 13 year old. So they were That's good fine. friends. Yeah, no, <laughs> Cuba is like if you're not friends of the U.S., Cuba's your best friend in Latin America. So they um, traded their doctors to be trained in Cuba. For cheap oil and financial support, which I guess oil would be used for the cars, even though a lot of the cars look kind of 1950-ish because they didn't really need it for heating. Uh, Yeah, the reason, like one of the reasons why they still have 1950s cars is they maintain them and you can't import anything like because of the embargo. This is where embargoes really don't work because Cuba can still get things in and out. They just can't get major things. So they're still like, they jerry-rig everything. So the fact that they can get oil in order to train the doctors because their doctors had such high skills illustrates that, you know, they have other things to offer that are commodable besides export. Okay, so then a lot of people have learned to rely on each other. For instance, like a household might have a radio, another sewing machine, and they all just kind of borrow each from each other so it's that collective Mm -hmm. community exists yeah so that's the summary of the first part of cuba and fidel castro like what his revolution created and now i'm about to go into his early years so buckle up and get ready oh it's a it's a good time you're gonna figure out why he was the premier guy before 2019 with the whole beard thing and how ladies fell for it so i suggest Get some rum and, uh, or in Spanish, ron, which I can never roll my R's. That's a rolled R, I, I promise. Can't. Yeah, I can't roll my R's. Ron and soda and, yeah. you know, just live your life. <laughs> yeah, with a cigar, with a good Cuban cigar. So his dad was, in which he cut, by the way, even though he helped build the industry, he cut it for health. So mm-hmm. his dad was an immigrant laborer from the Galician region. I hope I said that right. Gal- Is it Galicia? Yes, that region. He became a prosperous landowner of a sugar plantation near Bahrain, Baran, Cuba. I don't know what it looks like, so I cannot correct so, you. Yeah, so Castro said in a 1992 interview, it doesn't sound too good to say I'm a son of a landowner, so let us say rather that I'm the grandson of an exploited Galician 
peasant. So his, as a young man, his interests included spearfishing, reading, and cooking. And he said one of his favorite books was For Who the Bell Tolls by Ernest Hemingway. Yes, the book was set during the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s. I've only read, I read a different Hemingway book. I didn't read that one, which he said was an inspiration for his guerrilla tactics. I don't know how true that is, but... Uh, the Spanish Civil War, I think it's on my list. It it very much was based on guerrilla tactics between the Royalists and then Franco's forces. So yeah, there's guerrilla tactics because the way Spain is set up, there's certain areas that work better for like set battles. Yep. And then there's certain areas that are like the north and the south are better for guerrilla warfare. Really, what you said. Castile is the best for set battles, which is when, you know, you see the lines, like the Napoleonic lines. I've been to Rota, Spain. Rota. Oh, Rota's yeah. wonderful. Yes, I've been there. Yeah, that's better for um, guerrilla warfare because you can hide and pop out and like hide in the um, all around. So anywhere you have to go, you don't know if someone's going to pop out and kill you. Yeah, I was there with the military, so <laughs> kind of makes sense. While married to his first wife, his dad had an affair with one of his servants, Lena Ruiz Gonzalez, whom he um, ended up marrying later on. He had seven kids with her and Fidel was one of them. Not shocked. <laughs> yeah. His... Okay, so he attended Roman Catholic boarding school, and then he went to a Catholic high school, and he was an outstanding athlete. Now, one of the things I mentioned was about Hemingway, and sometimes there's this big thing like, oh, Hemingway, Castro, whatever. I did know that Hemingway had connections with Cuba. However, the um, the truth is, is they didn't have this like close friendship. All the photos came from a single encounter in May of 1960 when Castro attended a fishing contest held in Hemingway's honor. I could see that. The more you know. (laughs) And then, um, but he did have connections to a couple other people that were considered literary. One was a poet who had a great respect for the Cuban revolutionary revolution. He was from Chile or Chile. When he had a secret meeting with Castro in um, Caracas, I hope I said that right. Caracas, yeah. He was taken by surprise by his rough treatment of a photographer who saw them. And so later, he became the object of scorn in a public Are you talking about Neruda? Yes. (laughs) See? Pablo Neruda? Yeah, I read his works. You totally set me up on this topic. I feel like I'm being graded right now. You're not. No, I just... I've studied a wide variety of things. Yeah, so this dude went to visit the United States in 66, Mm -hmm. and then Castro got a little upset. So he encouraged this public letter to be printed in order to humiliate the poet. And then he would also read and critique the manuscripts of a Colombian novelist, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Oh, yeah, I haven't read Marquez. Yeah, so he would give seven-hour speeches, but he actually never really published a lot on his own. Now, his trademark beard started as a young revolutionary living in the mountains. And then, although it became a symbol of the guerrilla fighter, Castro started it for practical purposes. So he was quoted as saying, if you calculate 15 minutes a day to shave, that is 5,000 minutes a year spent shaving, he was quoted. He would rather spend his time doing more important things. Now, what's interesting here is the beard had become so synonymous with Fidel that the CIA had come up with a plan that was never carried out to make it fall out by planting in Castro's shoe a soluble, del- de- how do you say that word? De- what is like um, stuff you put on your nair? Like, what's that called? It starts with a D. Oh. Dilapatory. You know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. I just don't know the name for it. Yeah. So they wanted to have something to make it fall out that would be readily. They wanted, that would they be absorbed. Have a, skin. Yeah. A solvable. Yeah. Um, but hair they never yeah. They never fall. So there was also other unsuccessful plots to take Castro's life. Um, the former head of the Cuban Department of State Security, Fabian Escalante. Mm-hmm. said there were 634 documented attempts, but this is up for debate because it's not like the CIA is coming out like, yeah, that's true. I and, think it was higher. L- yeah. Guys, please tweet at us. Do you think, or wherever you list, like, want to comment, do you think 400 and what? 634. 634. Do you think that's high or low for the number of attempts on Fidel? I think it's pretty low. 
Okay, so Castro had a passion for scuba diving. So one of the plans involved planting an explosive seashell in an area he liked to dive. Another plan was to use a wetsuit that would be tainted with disease-causing fungus yep. and a tu- um, TB, you know TB, I'm not going to try it. Tuberculosis. Lace breathing apparatus to be given. Oh my god, I like the best thing about the CIA attempting to kill Fidel is you... You think any crazy spy movie things, they probably tried it. Like, the exploding cigar tried it. It's legitimately, they're like, yeah, no, we have proof. Like, we tried to do it. It didn't work. Um, So, a couple other different ones were they were going to use a fountain pen with a fine hypodermic needle that would be undetectable to, like, I guess, kill him. Um, A former lover to administer botulism toxin pills. Fun fact, botulism yeah. is what you use in your face to make it stay. Botox. I need that. And too exploding much, cigars. Too much too much Botox kills you, in case you're wondering. Yeah. So again, I'm going to be all over this place on this, because I was just trying to come up with some interesting facts. Um, Fidel attended the University of Havana for law, and that's where he became a political activist. He um, married the daughter of a wealthy family tied to the Batista regime named Murda Diaz Ballart. Ballart. It's not Paul Blart. Ballart. In 1948. <laughs> yeah, in 1948. In 49, they had a son called Fidelito, which was like little Fidel. However, Castro's love letters were exposed to another Cuban socialite. Natalia Revoluta, while he was a prisoner. How? It sounds so close to revolution. It's very ironic. And then, um, so Murda filed for divorce five. And so they had switched at the prison because he was at prison this time. They'd switched the letters. And so Talia always believed that the prison director had arranged the switch so he would get caught. So after the divorce, Murda moves to Spain. And then she returned in 2002 to live with little Fidel, Fidel, little Fidel. I'm going to call him Little Fidel. Fidelito? Yeah. So, because Fidel had, gr- the Little Fidel grew up in Cuba, and he ran Cuba's Atomic Energy Commission before being removed from the post by his dad. And then he died of suicide by February of 2018. So we saw his dad died, and then within two years, he di- he killed himself. That would be interesting to see, like, and do some investigating into that. But I feel like you'd have to be part of, like, the CIA or the FBI. Yeah, yeah I'm very, very, I want to do it on my podcast. I want to do the story of how the brother mm-hmm. of... Um, in North, to K- North Korea, how he was murdered. Ooh, yeah, that one's interesting. Yeah, because uh, they have it on video and everything. You can watch it. The woman that they tricked to be the assassin has just done interviews. Yeah, so I want to do her. So um, a lot of Castro's private life has been censored by the media. So of course, we, yeah. So we know that he was married to Murda. We know that he had the affair with Natalia, who gave birth to his daughter, and Alina, who is his daughter with her, left Cuba in 93, and she disguised herself as a Spanish tourist, and she sought asylum in the U.S., and she criticized her dad's policy. Yeah, not a great way to stay alive. Yeah, so um, by another uh, two people, it looks like he had a one-night affair, or at least they're unnamed. So he had another son another daughter and then um one daughter he had francisco pupo born from that affair in 53 which it sounds like he was still married at the end she now lives in miami and castro actually had a lot of one night stands um so you know, about- you're a dictator you can you can fuck whoever yeah. you want yeah and a lot of times they'd be selected for him one of them actually was an abc news journalist i got some information on that one and um the he also had five other sons by his second wife and his sister Juanita Castro has been living in the U.S. since the early 60s and she's also an opponent of her brother's regimes. Fun fact, I actually have an aunt named Juanita and we have no Spanish or Cuban heritage whatsoever. It's just a cool name, apparently. Yeah, Juanita means like, it's like a version of John. I thought it was a cool name. I was like, go grandma for coming up with a cool name for my for my aunt. <laughs> um, there was a time when Castro was kind of a cool dude to America. I love this part so when much. When he helped topple the authoritarian regime of Batista. Mm-hmm. So Ed Sullivan was the host of America's television's most popular show. He flew to Cuba to record an interview with Fidel. You can see it on YouTube. 
I've yeah. literally shown it in class on YouTube. I'm like, look at Fidel. See, you even taught a class on this. You <laughs> totally, totally set me up for this one. I did not set you up for this. I taught world history 1945. So Fidel was one class. Okay. So in the early morning of hours of January 11th, 1959, Sullivan talked with Castro who was surrounded by about 100 armed men. He compared him to George Washington and called him a fine young man, just as he called Elvis Presley and the Beatles. Castro also taped a segment later that day on Face the Nation. He uh, also appeared on The Tonight Show, hosted by Jack Parr. And when he appeared on Meet the Press in April 59, he said he thought the American people were nice. Yeah. So no, that's what I got on that. It's it's so interesting. I recommend going to watch all of them because you get to see Fidel describing the revolution, his own words and what his hopes and desires are. And it's just so different from what you get fed in history classes. Ten, like I'm speaking of high school history classes, college history classes, everyone's different. But it's just so interesting to see the differences between what the consensus is and what this, the United States likes you to believe. And I grew, I obviously am a little bit older than you. I remember when the Berlin Wall fell. I, I was not born celebrating. yet. Yeah. <laughs> I, what year? Well, that was what? In the 80s? 89. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was 11 years old. And I remember celebrating that in school. So I remember a lot of the stuff that was taught to us in history class about the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see, 89, when that fell, my brother was one. Yeah, <laughs> so I was pretty vintage. I'm pretty vintage. Let's put it this way. My brother, as of us recording it, my brother just turned 31. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, and then what's so weird is when I hear ages, I still think I'm like t- 29, 32. So then when I realized that, uh, in a, what 2020, it's gonna be 30 years ago to what uh, nine, to nine, what what 2020, 30 years ago to 1990. Yeah. I just turned 27, like <laughs> so scary to me. That I think that throws most people off. Most people don't realize I'm in my late 20s, yeah. So um, so during a U.S. news interview in 94, Castro was asked about the prospects of political liberalization and replies that Cuba can be ruled only by revolution. Oh, this is what I want to tell you about baseball, because we always hear if we had just scouted him for baseball, none of this would happen. And so there's a couple different stories about it. But this is the story that seemed the most legit from a news source I could find. Okay. Mm-hmm. In truth, Castro is an accomplished high school athlete. I'm about to quote. This is a quote. Okay. This is not a CJ situation. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to quote this up. Yes. Cause I have a bunch of resources. So a lot of my stuff I wrote in my own words and some of them I quoted and I can tell you all my quotes, which ones were <laughs> quotes. Okay. So who was named? I would say he was an accomplished athlete and he was named Havana's outstanding schoolboy sportsman in 43 to 44, which I think is such a cute name. He excelled in track and field, basketball, and table tennis, which I am really cool that table tennis was considered a sport. It reminded me of Forrest Gump. And what's more, he pitched for his high school baseball team as a senior. So there's been stories of whether he went around the Washington Senator Scout, Joe Cambria, which I guess is our today. It's the um, Nationals. Yes, exactly. You're so good. I like live here and I couldn't even think of the team off offhand. Baseball is one of the sports I do follow. He did appear uninvited at two of the tryouts held by the Washington Senator Scout, but failed to distinguish but failed to distinguish himself. So Castor later cemented the image of himself as a baseball player with a famous pitch of the Cuban army team in an exhibition played before a minor league game between the Rochester Red Wings and the Havana Sugar Kings in July of 59. So his biggest connection with baseball, however, was the number one fan of Cuba's national sport and is kind of behind the general manager of the national team, mm-hmm. which had great success internationally. Was it the Cuban, were the boys involved with like Little League or something? Or am I totally making that up? No, the Caribbean and Latin America, they're known like internationally known to be really good baseball players. Um, I know that the Indians, the Cleveland Indians, because that's my that's my team. I'm sorry, no matter what, I'm always an Indians fan. I don't approve of their mascot, but 
they always have at least like three Cuban or like Cuban, Dominican, Latin American players. Like Latin America loves baseball just as much as like North America and the United States. Okay. So what was Fidel like? Okay. Apparently a great lover. I know. Apparently it must have been the beard. So he was very hardworking. He was dedicated, loyal. He would be generous, but he could also be vindictive and unforgiving. This sounds like you're just describing how he is as a lover. Like, I, know. I just feel like it's like a fortune cookie. You're like, he's all these things in bed. Yeah, I feel like, <laughs> or like I'm doing it as an astrology sign right now. What was he about? What, oh, shoot. I didn't write it down. Oh, wait. I'll look it up for you. He was well known for throwing tantrums and can make snap judgment. He would go in a ferocious rage if he was ever embarrassed. I mean, wouldn't you? Oh, I know. For real. He had a profound sense that it was his mission to save the Cuban p- people, which sounds a little narcissistic. I'm sorry. Yeah. He's born April 13th. He's so- an a- yes. Totally makes sense. The Aries, by the way. I live that life because this is all sounds like him and he's really good at temper tantrum and making snap judgments. So I just know Aries is the god of war. And they, as they do, that's exactly what it's like living with one. (laughs) Um, He also has an elephant memory, memory like an elephant. And he would be known for his busy working hours and he would go to bed at like three or four. And he would even schedule foreign diplomats very early in the morning like that. Because he thought he would get the upper hand in negotiations because they would be too tired. That is really smart, though, because that's the perfect time to get me. You're like, haha, it's very early. I'd be like, yes, it is. He liked Let me try this coffee. He liked wine and whiskey. And so a lot of the state would say, oh, he lives like this modest life. Mm-hmm. But as you know, in a lot of these types of situations with leaders like this, he actually had a lot of luxury in his private life, supposedly. Oh, yeah. I love that he likes wine and whiskey. Fidel and I could got, could have gotten along a, a lot. You know, that's what I've had tonight. So, the wine he, and the whiskey. yeah. So, he was considered himself, even though he was raised in all that religion, an atheist. But, quote, unquote, he also criticized the use of the Bible to justify the oppression of women in Africa. Yeah, I'm not shocked. Um, Latin America has an interesting correlation between African slave descendants, European descendants, mixed descendants. It's a whole thing. I think John Oliver did a thing on it. Yeah, He kind of pushed the idea that um, Christ was a communist. I I thought that was pretty smart. I thought that was like, I'm like, well played, well played. I wouldn't say no. I'm not going to say 100% yes, but I mean, I'm not going to 100% say no. I want to talk about his death really quick. I have about three pages about the whole political thing, but I figure you probably will want to give a, like a little synopsis of that. Oh, probably better. Keep going with your stuff. We're good. I can get. I can get it to a point. Okay. Sure. So in April, um, a 90-year-old Castro told the Communist Party that he'd be dying soon, and he implored party members to work to fulfill his communist vision for Cuba. Quote, unquote. That's a quote. So on the 25th of November, 2016, he died. That's when the television stated he died. They did not disclose what he died of. But I mean, the guy's 90. Like what? I mean, you know, if I live to 90, please lie about when I died to give me more. Yeah, I'm just like, I, I don't I don't think I need to know at that point. And so his brother, the president, Raul Castro, confirmed the news in a brief speech. The commander in chief of the Cuban revolution died at 2229, given military time um, this evening. And so his older brother had already died at that point, Ramon. Ramon and um, so he was cremated. And then his funeral was a procession of 560 miles along the island's central highway from Havana to Santiago de Cuba, tracing it in reverse, the route of the Freedom Caravan of January 1959. So that was like, uh, they went they went backwards basically on it. And they had nine, nine days of public mourning. Like I said, I have a whole bunch of stuff on the politics, but I was trying to make, Fide- I was concentrating on Fidel the man. Fidel the man is an interesting juxtaposition. My favorite thing, I don't know if you found this, is that the U.S., because technically we're leasing Guantanamo from Cuba, so we keep sending them check, and the only reason we keep doing that is because Fidel cashed the first one, and then he's just kept, like they said, he just kept the rest of them in a drawer in the in the president's office. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I the the whole thing is you know um, it's fascinating. He's yeah. just he's 
Uh, I know PBS did a documentary on his life. I recommend watching that. I love that Because we could literally, I just went over the man, the mm-hmm. man, the myth, the legend. We literally could do, could do like a whole nother hour or two hours just on his politics. But I figured that was kind of a little bit more out there. And I was like, mm-hmm. who is Fidel? Like, I try to do it more from a personal sense. But I do have like a general idea of how down. Oh, feel free. I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on Fidel. He's a fascinating human. Yeah. Um, He's in the terms, if you're asking, is he an asshole of history? Eh, I would say about 50-50 in my perspective, if that matters at all. Um, I think this is what I just feel sad about mm-hmm. is, and I saw, and I totally get it. We established our country by revolution, but yes. I feel like we had, and again, I'm talking from a public history standpoint, I'm talking from the... It's viewpoint of like the average person who does not have a history background. Okay. Yeah. Um, we had a group of people that kind of formulated our government and I read a lot. I went through the rabbit hole and I read a lot of books on what happened in North Korea. I dabbled a little bit in China. I just feel sad if you have one person leading the revolution. Sometimes it just doesn't always work out the best for economy that leads into starvation. The whole starvation thing always makes me feel very uncomfortable. I think one party rule isn't always the best, but I think if you're going to look for an example of one that does okay, I would rather go Cuba than North Korea. Well, of course, but I think what happened with Cuba, though, is we're like having a debate here and I feel like I'm like actually holding my own. I just feel like they relied maybe too long or on Soviet Union for that help. And it was good that they made that relationship with uh, Venezuela, but I just am uncomfortable when you have somebody who's just so sent, like you said, with the one party. That's the only thing is that I think they're doing much better now mm-hmm. um, since they kind of opened it up a little bit, kind of, you know, lessened it a little, but there was some rough times there. Yeah, I think cult of personalities are dangerous, a dangerous, dangerous thing like you were talking about. Um, I also know you we didn't discuss it. But I should probably cover the Cuban Missile Crisis. You sooner. go right with your bad self. And there, um, between that and... Yeah, because so Fidel and... It was a weird situation because the U.S. government put missiles in Cuba. And I'm trying oh, to... And this guy got involved in Africa. I didn't even get... Oh my God, I love them Nicola. in Africa. That's why I was like, you need to do a separate episode because I did the man, the myth, and the legend. And you've got to go into the political <sighs> movements because I was like, how can I give this like I'll have to remind me I'll, I'll remind me to cover Fidel for yours and then we'll just do a cross like double yeah. Fidel too many Fidels too many funds um <laughs> yeah it's like he's all over the oh, place Angola was a failure Bolivia was okay but for Angola? them using Angola that's Africa Bolivia South America. He was over. And then he did let he did let uh, Pope John Paul II to visit Cuba. Yeah. So that's the interesting about thing about Cuba. Like they're not a hundred percent against religion like the Soviet Union was. They kind of got forced. It was a weird juxtaposition to get them forced into that corner because they were trying to do neutrality. But the U.S. put missiles in Turkey which is on the Soviet doorstep. So the Soviets were like, hey, bitches, let's find somewhere. And Fidel's like, hey, they're going to give us money and help support us after the U.S. tried to get on our territory. So they said, yes, it was a mistake. Now they've been embargoed for, um, I think... They weren't allowed for con- for Christmas trees for a while there, right? Uh, I think yeah. that was outlawed, right? Because the thing is, is like I actually have a painting by my friend who's from Russia. Um, she painted me a picture of her village, and there's pictures of churches because they... You don't want to have... It's like you don't want to have competition with your loyalty to the government. Your loyalty is to the state, not yeah. to anyone else. Yeah, so it was a weird thing. But, like, Cuba was communist out of unions and, ide- like, what they needed. So they were really trying to figure out what they needed to be a successful country instead of this idea of machismo and all of that that was remnants from the conquistadors from Spain, a.k.a. listen to the Puerto Rico episodes or the Christopher Columbus episodes if you want to talk about machismo. Um, so it was just them trying to figure out what worked best to rule a country instead of a U.S. puppet state, which Batista was. Which I need to cover Batista because so he's a when, whole other beast. when Barack Obama visited mm-hmm. Cuba, Castro wrote, 
Nobody should be under the illusion that the people of this dignified and selfless country will renounce the glory, the rights, or the spiritual wealth they have gained with the development of education, science, and culture. I feel like that should be like my mic drop moment. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, Cuba, for being so isolated in the Western Hemisphere, has done so well and helped support so many countries. Uh, If I remember correctly, I think they supported the Sandinistas. They supported several revolutions in like Central and South America. They supported some revolution Africa less successfully. They've educated thousands of doctors. My view on Cuba is very mixed, so sorry. Uh, Well, I think that's great. I do think Castro had good intentions. I don't, I don't, I think they're I think the implication and the the medical are great and things like that. So I'm not I'm not knock said. I think mm-hmm. that I think they're just real people and there's good and bad and all that, you know. And trying to carry out a philosophy in a lifetime is really hard. Yeah, it's um everything I've read about communism, it's very difficult. It's a long process. And I think Fidel just tried to do adapt what worked for his um people. And I think that's I'd rather him do that than, you know, just try to rule through the top down. Granted, it's not always successful. It's a it's a learning curve, just like democracy. Democracy is a very old process, but we're not fine tuned to it. Um, And I think really, if we're going to go with any of the communist countries that are successful, I'd rather go with Cuba than a lot of other countries like Venezuela um china uh as well as the soviet union it just seems like it's much more cohesive granted it works better in a smaller country situation and russia was probably too big and china's probably too big and venezuela's probably too big but that's besides the point do you have anything else you would like to add carrie nope only that he started smoking cigars at the age and he gave it up at 50 damn that's commitment because he supported a health a health related Nash, that's all I got. Because like I said, I was trying to do the man. You you did a very good job at being brief on Ca- Castro, which is very difficult. Amen. See, I was trying really, really hard. <laughs> it's so hard. He's such an intriguing man that like, even if you just did early Castro, say like birth to 50, it'd be so difficult. It's Girl, so I cut, do you know how many pages I just cut out? But I was like, this I think has the most cohesive. Story. You have it. You have mastered me. I just start talking really fast. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to plug all your podcasts so people can find Thank you? Thank you. You can find me at Sip and Shine Podcast, where you find this, at Sip Shine Pod. And I do histories, mysteries, old Hollywood, things from like the Hearst love child to who killed Frank Lloyd Wright's mistress. Like I just do kind of light, unscholarly podcasts. I'm a little unscholarly. And then I have your public of- history light. Yeah, exactly. I love it. That's me. And so, which is probably going to be the majority of your listeners are not going to probably want to listen to that uh, because they seem very smart. And my other show is Moms on the Rocks, which you don't need to be a mom to listen to because it's everything other than mothering, which is like pop culture, 80s, 90s, just life stuff. Uh, And yeah, so and mental health because we have like mental health stuff going on. But about that. So, and I do have you on my show. So if you listen to anything and you, and you at least can listen to you, <laughs> that's it. You can listen to me talk about boats way too much. Yeah, boats and hose and, um, oh yeah. Which we need to talk about the, I almost finished the new episode of Below Deck yeah. and we need to talk about the Below Deck Mediterranean, but that needs to be another see, episode. See, I'm a safe space for that kind of stuff. So you can listen to you talk about that stuff because I am a safe space. <laughs> yeah, Carrie's podcast is great for if you want to learn about Natalie Wood, but then you want to learn about haunted castles. Yeah, you did you my talk- first one. Yeah. And then you want to talk about, you know, pop culture. I've learned so much about Bravo TV shows and stuff like that <laughs> that I didn't even know. I'm like, I don't know who these people are, but they seem ridiculous and I feel better about my life. Yeah, and that's why I'm into it. It's like a form of therapy that I get from home. The latest episode I did was, um, hopefully I can say it correctly because it is at least someone, Omira Sanchez, she was killed in a 1985 volcano that killed 23,000 people in Colombia. Oh my god, I just listened to that one today. It was insane. Seriously, go listen to it. Did you see the picture of her that was no. taken literally in the I I posted online and if you go to the website but 
the last hours of her life, they took those photos and they won all these awards, but it's like, how can you take these photos of her 60 hours, you know, fighting for life in the water? You know, she's cognizant and awake, but yet you couldn't rescue her. I know it's, you cover different things. So if you like different types of history, I highly recommend it. Think, yeah it's just like i'm not as smart as you i don't do like a whole seven seven hundred years of history that wasn't but, supposed to be 700 years it was supposed to be whatever part of that you wanted to cover but if you like <laughs> if you are the type of person that like a documentary or you read something like a random article and you want to go google something that's my show yeah i vouch for it thank you we're gonna say bye here but then i probably keep talking about below deck because I have feelings we're gonna both go to sleep now I know I'm like sorry I'm like I like put some real effort into Fidel so now I'm like oh I got it out because I was really nervous oh don't be it was good okay Patreon people because that's who's only getting this now good night off hey 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 it's Carrie and I host the sip and shine podcast Despite my 13-year-old sounding voice, I invite you to come listen on your favorite podcast catcher as myself and a revolving guest co-host chronicle stories of histories, mysteries, scandals, royals, true crime, and cults. We Google it so you don't have to. It's a classy little cocktail party, Mad Men style, from drinks to music to interesting convos. RSVP to the party by finding us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at SipshinePod. And of course, because this is an unscholarly podcast, we add in copious amounts of wine, inappropriate humor, candy, and reality TV references. So come pour a glass of your favorite wine or sparkling cider, because good things always start with a sip. Hi, I'm Heather. And I'm Rhonda. And we're two wine-loving, psych-nerd, long-distance friends who host the podcast Wine Mind, where each episode we break down a psychology topic while getting buzzed on a bottle of wine. And sometimes we make up words. Have you ever poured back a few glasses of wine and found yourself wondering, why is wine so awesome? Why is it so hard to make friends in adulthood? What's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? If so, then Wine Mind is the podcast for you. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And check out our website at winemindpodcast.com. You can also find us on the social medias as at winemindpodcast. So uncork a bottle and join us. Cheers! Cheers. of Domesticity, we're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts, and our Instagram is at The Cult of Domesticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcasts at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.